Well, we've got a, a, a 1970-ish double oven at the house that the sophisticated part, I'm sure it was just awesome in its day, the sophisticated part of the oven, the computerized oven, uh, is, well, it's, it's, it can't be fixed, they say. So all we have left is now the bottom oven, which is sort of the old-fashioned type oven that you still got to clean and all of that. But we were wondering what was going on some time ago and had it fixed and tried to have it fixed again, and now we're at a place where all it does, because we still need the bottom oven, it just randomly goes beep, 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 at that pace and at that volume, and you're just going, oh my gosh, is anyone closer than me that can go and hit the button? The code says it's going to die, and they can't fix it. They don't have parts for that something that old. Wonderful. You know, it's sort of like the alarm for the fire, the smoke detector, right? And the classic joke of that is, why do they always go off at night and never in the middle of the day? You see, we have our relationships, and there are warning signs that go out. There are times when we are trying to figure out things, but we just don't feel right. Or the situation is, is kind of obviously traumatic or obviously not, uh, not going well. And these alarms go off. And we, we, a lot of times we just want to go over, push the button that resets it for a while. And then again we're reminded by this obnoxious sound or this obnoxious alarm that things are not quite right in relationships. Every family has troubles. Every family has dysfunctions. Every family has has uh, sometimes experiences trauma that they don't even create. Sometimes they experience a lot of trauma that they create. But families that are growing to be strong and going to be strong, positively thinking, will go through times where they need hope. They don't know what to do. We don't know what to do. We don't know what to say. We don't know exactly what to do in this situation. We don't know it because I created it, but I don't know how to get out of it. And families experience that. Today, I just want to give a simple um, acronym acrostic to, for hope. I hope that if you are in the midst of, uh, of a crisis, there's transitional crisis, right? You don't know exactly when it's hit, but you can predict it. There are crises that hit that are totally unexpected, even in relationships. And then there are traumas that, that hit and... We need hope in all of those situations. And so today, even if you uh, are in a great space, I hope that this would be an acronym that you could remember and think about and actually help someone else as they're going through uh, a given um, crisis. Hope. Hold on. When you hold on, then you're able to then be able to own up. And in owning up, you can press in and then pressing in, you can expect on. So let's talk about hold on. We just sang about it. The overwhelming, reckless love of God. It is so reckless that we cannot fully wrap our minds around it, but we trust it. You see, when we go through a crisis, and if we're in a relational crisis, there's lots of things that we know have to be done at the relational level, the person-to-person -person level. 
But I would say what gives us ultimate hope is that we hold on to the one who's holding us. We hold on and we remind ourselves that he is after our hearts. And now being held captive by him, our hearts, the, the, the Hebrew, the, the heart, the spirit, the soul of man, the center of who we are, is constantly being held on to God no matter how we feel. Those of us, the people of faith, there are times when we are barely holding on. And what God would say is you keep holding on. You do everything that you can to not give up on the one who's holding you. Now, he's not going to give up on you, but he knows that if we get ourselves into that mentality, we get ourselves into that mindset to where we have lost even hope in the one who's holding us, then we could deteriorate pretty quickly. You see, he understands the heart. Solomon writes, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Even in the data, the, the, the data of our physical hearts, the, the heart disease and things go way up. The, the risk factors go way up when anxiety and depressions and things like that and trauma hit us. And so he desires for us to, to experience a true peace. It's not just something that we can say, well, peace to you, brother, when you're in crisis. When we say peace to you, it is the peace that surpasses this anxiety that's going on in our heads. It's the peace of God that is holding us and sustaining us, the very promises of God, that no matter what we go through, he's holding us. Watch your heart, guard your heart. Don't allow the root of bitterness to get in there. Don't hold a grudge. When we see the words in, to the church in Corinth who was having some issues with the, the, the whole behavior side of Christianity, he says, listen, choose love. Love is patient. It is kind. It does not hold on. It has short, account, short accounts. It doesn't hold on to grudging. It doesn't just keep holding on to the negative. But if we're not careful, we hold on to those things, don't we, in relationships? We'll hold that one little piece that we know that when the good fight's coming, that we can, we, can, we can just use it as a jab as opposed to holding on to the one who sustains us. A heart at peace gives life to the body, Solomon says. He also says a happy heart makes the face cheerful, but heartache crushes the spirit. God knows that we experience crushing situations. All the days of the oppressed are wretched, but he who has a cheerful heart, has a continual feast. The Father desires for us to know that there are going to be times where life is absolutely paused because of relationships. Because that's where we live. Sometimes if we didn't have to deal with people, life would be perfect. So he knows, but he also wants us to know that he, we can still feast in him and that at our access are all the things that we will talk ourselves out of that are his to give grace and mercy and truth and love. It's amazing when we get so focused on a relational disagreement or a relational conflict or a crisis that we forget the very things that really hold on to us, that grip us, that when we feel like we're flailing, God has the tight grip. A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. I don't know if you feel dried up today. I don't know if you feel like your spirit is crushed. You may be in a tremendous season, and you know 
what this hope is all about. Because this hope is not just something that we just throw at one another. Hope is something that sustains us. And it is in our relationships that we are able to then minister to one another. Oh, we weep with those who weep. We laugh with those who laugh. And we give ourselves an opportunity to, to live out this life. But sometimes, and many times, just a word of hope to one another. A, a true settling in who God is to hold on to what he is and who he is. Peter writes this. He says, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. We realize that when Peter was writing this, the, the church was under tremendous persecution. Persecution that we can't truly imagine in the Western church whether they were put on stakes covered with wax and lighting up the city, there was a persecution that was going on. And so they obviously were looking to that eternal glory. But when we hold on to Christ, those of us that have continued to stay steadfast in this and immovable, choosing to stay strong in relationships the best that we can, we have also seen his glory even in the living in these days. And Solomon even called these days evil. We know at any given time there could be a crisis. I thought transitionally that it was going to be a little easier from small children to older children. And that was a lie I believed. Not that my, kid, my kids are better than your kids. I'll just tell you that right now. All right, I love my kids. But the transition is wacky, right? Beep, 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 beep. Is there anyone closer than me that can go and shut that thing off? For those on the internet, I'm looking at my phone, imaginary phone. Did you hear that? Did you, did you hear that? Th do you hear it? Did you hear I just turned it. Do you... Amazing. You see, holding on also means that we got to own up. This is going to be the largest part of the, of the message, and I think it is, is equally as important as all the other, but when we deal with family conflicts, when we want to make ourselves strong, we got to hold on to God, but we also got to own up. We got to own up to who we are. We got to watch grace work. We've got to give ourselves an opportunity to, to know who we are, and who we're dealing with, and know what we're dealing with, and then in a mature way, choose a pathway. James says it this way, Jesus' brother, grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. You see, we hold on, but yet there is a time where we have to own. We have to own that we're grieving. We have to own that we're wailing. We have to own that which needs changing. We have to own our portion. We have to own that there's something going on in the house. We have to own that there are, are things going on. Those of us that are the spiritual leaders of our home, we have got, it is difficult, but we have got to make sure that if there are any elephants in the room or in the house, that those are begun uh, that, that, that we begin to just open that up and let it there because 
it will take all of the strength that we have and minimize any family muscle that we've developed. We've got to begin to own it. James says, humble yourselves. You know, you can't really say you're humble, but you can work towards it. You can make it your goal. And then through that humility, that's where real growth comes. Humility allows us to, to really, and we've, you've heard it this way, you'll hear it again, as we as a church that, that are striving to, to really bring Jesus and bring Jesus to a community in need, each of us have levels of need, no matter what Sunday we walk in, and all of our neighbors the same way. I would hope that we could begin to just know that it's okay to not be okay. But it's not okay to stay that way. It's not okay to stay that way. And if you're having troubles, man, I wish for you all the hope. I can, I can wish for you that, that the hope that Christ desires for you and your family, that we do not have to be stuck, that we do not have to be persistent in some of our decision-making or lack of decision-making. Our family systems can truly be strong and become strong once we hold on to the things of God, hold on to Him, and then own it. James, just you read the book of James, you know, if you had one theme, he's saying own it. Just own it. Why do you fuss and quarrel amongst yourselves? Because you're not getting what you want. I mean, he just lays it out. Use it as a personal study. If you've never uh, read the book of James, it's in the New Testament towards the back. You go to the last book of Revelation, make a left, you'll find it pretty quick. Very practical, coming from Jesus' brother. But it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. As a matter of fact, dysfunction persists in families because we tend to repeat negative patterns of coping. We just do. You see, we were all raised. Now, first service, right? I mean, first service, they were raised in, in a much even, even worldview was different. There were truths, and you just did it, and you just followed it because that's what you did. And, and many of the generations behind them in this service go, why follow that? Moral relativism, all of these things. Truth has become so relative. And so what happens in family systems is that we fight against each other when we really don't want to, but at the same time, why am I doing what I'm doing? And so owning says, who am I? What am I doing? If everyone in this place that had a marital, marital squabble or a family systems issue or you feel like wringing your child's neck or whatever the case may be, we can get true hope. Hope comes through very, very hard work sometimes. Hope comes when we partner with God in what he desires for us to do and to be. And that really is a owning up to where we are. So how do we do that? You see, if everybody, if you're having a conflict with somebody, or if there's a, a family mess or a relational mess, this, these, these principles translate everywhere. You want hope in the workplace. You want hope in whatever relationship. The power of God's word, the power of his practices help us to truly experience hope, not just have hope. I think the best question we can ask ourselves are what are you doing in me? What are you doing in me? The most difficult thing in relationships is, is knowing that, yeah, we got some things to work on. I've got some things to work on, but look at that person. And we go, but, but God, look at this. When are they going to do this? When are they going to do that? And, and God's like, I realize. 
And what do they have to do? They have to choose humility. I've got the same message for them. They need to own it. Now, there's not an adult person that has had children in this room or a good friend. If you've had a great, solid, close friendship that you haven't had some level of conversation with a friend or a family member, you go, man, you just got to own this. You wouldn't even have too much problem if you would just own your side of it. It sounds like you guys could get together. You guys could work it out if you just own your stuff. Well, they, have you ever been in that? And you're trying to get them out of the well they? Or, well, look at this or whatever. And so we sit there and we're going, oh, my goodness. The joy is just being stolen. You're, you're not owning what, what you're doing in this situation. But let me just tell you. The hope is, is that you can change, but you can also change your family patterns. You see, I said it last week, and I maybe said it prematurely, so if you weren't here last week, this will be a new illustration for you, but it's perfect for this. Um, like two weeks ago, it's so fresh, I'm driving, I think I confessed last week that I, I talked to drivers. I talk to you, you don't even realize I'm talking to you. Now, I don't think I'm rage-ish, but I'm enough to where my 13-year-old from the back of the van says this. Dad? Yeah, hon? You know, for a preacher, oh. It didn't matter what she was going to say at that point. (sighs) Yeah? You're not really patient. (sighs) I'm going to tell you that that, those humble words, I immediately began a plan in my head of how I could reduce things and so forth. Why do I say it in this week? Because I have a 13-year-old watching me. I have a 13-year-old looking at me. I have all the other kids, but we have people watching us. And we watched others. Growing up, we watched others. And sometimes the pervasive pattern in families is we're just repeating grandmama's behavior or we're just repeating daddy's behavior or we're just repeating that which we long for but but we didn't have and we don't really know how to change it we want it we it's going to be different some of us have said to our past i saw it and now i'm changing it and we've gone about changing it you see owning it is saying what are my patterns what are my ways of thinking what what is it that that gets in my way what, what are these things, you know, just because, you know, I mean, we even, get, we even get our nationalities involved in it. Well, I'm Irish, so we're angry. Well, come on. Right? We use all these things to hold on to the wrong thing and not own the right thing to say, listen, what, what are my behaviors? What, what do I get to bring to the table? You see, some of you probably had daddies that were impatient. And if they were, if their behavior is maximized in that, this is just one illustration. You, you may have grown up really not being sure. You know what I'm saying? You're like, I'm not sure if that person really 
likes me or whatever. And you begin all of these processes. Uh, a great book, Henry Cloud, The Boundaries Guy. Uh, he also has a book called Changes That Heal. So l- let me just go through his little listing here. He's got wonderful explanations. I recommend the book. But he says, distorted thinking, right? Be renewed in your mind. But see, sometimes it's hard to own unless we know. View of ourselves, I'm bad, I'm unlovable. Something about me scares people away. My sins are worse than other people's sins. I don't deserve love. My neediness will overwhelm anyone. My need for others is not valid. My feelings will overwhelm anyone. Now many of us hear those and we go, oh man, we'd sit down and give hope. We'd like, oh, you get, now you got to own that you're, you're thinking that, but oh, goodness gracious, you're better, better, better. Any of us that have those, we're going, yeah, and I'm still stuck. View of others. No one is trustworthy. People will always leave me. People are mean and critical. People will disapprove of me. People will control me. People are faking their care. And even the one that we're supposed to be holding on to, we can even have distorted thinking about the one who's holding on to us. He really doesn't love me. God doesn't care about the way I feel. He just wants me to be good. He wants just good Christians. He gets angry at me. He doesn't hear me. He doesn't answer prayer. He will control me and take away my freedom. He won't forgive me for, and then you fill in the blank. You see, owning it is beginning to really understand that we come from dysfunction, and in that dysfunction, he is in the restoration business. The very reason that the God of the universe decided to have a crash course on a cross was from that point on, truth and grace and mercy and love can really make sense to us. And in that, the power of the Holy Spirit that is holding on to us in the Godhead desires for us to change. And in that change, because we have been indwelled by Him, He is already working on the work of reconciliation within us. It's a guarantee. He is fashioning us into the likeness of Jesus. He's doing a work, but we put it on pause. He desires for us to get out of distorted thinking and distorted patterns. If today you're sitting there and the Holy Spirit just, you've never even thought this thought before, or this is a pervasive pattern that you know, trust me in this, the Holy Spirit desires to change us. Let me make it personal. He desires to change you. And even if you think you can't pull it off, it's not all yours to pull off. It's a matter of the Holy Spirit desiring to take you to a new level so that you don't have to repeat patterns, but that you are able to experience hope. And in experiencing hope, you can own it. And when you own it, you will experience a freedom that you've never felt before. But it's easier. I'm just telling you, it's easier to just put it in a trunk, right? You put it in the trunk and the kids start yiping. And, and, and they keep pushing that, tr- no, I, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, right? And we don't want it to seep out, but then it does. I'm just saying, we all need hope. We've all been here. And the God who is holding on to us desires for us to really ask, what are you doing in me? If I spend more of my on what others should be doing and not looking at myself, then God says, Tom, you're missing it. 
Look what I'm doing in you. But, and we will have a good case. We will have a good case. They may not mature at all. But God says, I'm holding on to you. But, but, if, but they're stopping me now from growing. You must understand, my child, that as you are growing you, what are you doing in me? And what are you doing in me? And, but, and what are you doing in me? Because I'm already preparing you for something in your future. They will live in their stuck place. You've got to sometimes what? Set tough boundaries. You've got to, love is tough. You've got to speak the truth in love. All of the scripture, all the scripture that doesn't seem to make sense can totally make sense. All the epistles and all the letters in the New Testament can make complete sense when we understand this principle of hope and owning it. Because all the behavior changes, all the thinking changes make sense to God who's taking us beyond the current and taking us to a future. If we never mature here, we're going to be toast down here. If someone up here is not cooperating, we still have to go, God, what are you doing inside of me? Oh, okay. And then he takes us. Because the likelihood of having a relational difficulty in our futures is how much percentage? 100. 100%. There's going to be a new stretch. Right? Because he's growing us. So you might ask yourself, what are you doing in me? Do I need to realize my need? My real need? Do I need to move towards others? Do I need to be vulnerable? Do I need to challenge distorted thinking? Do I need to take a risk? Do I need to allow dependent feelings? Some of us are so independent. We don't need anybody. We don't need anybody. I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. No, we're insecure in our maturity of Christ. We're We're immature in our relationship. Because we can handle it. That's the lie we believe. Well, I can handle it. I got the no, thank you. I got it. We, it. We got about this kind of zone. No, some of us need to go, oh, I'm part of a body. I'm part of a kingdom. I'm part of a, a, of a family. I'm, I'm now in God's family. Man, my family failed me, but now I can begin to trust. You see, he desires for us to recognize our defenses. Recognize how, we're, how we are and mature and grow. And we can truly laugh at ourselves when we go, I did that again. Okay, you see what I did? You see, I protected myself, didn't I? Now, how do I, do, how do I move and work and grow? And it's amazing how the conversations are, you know, I even believe in kind of a mystic technology. It's amazing how that article will come up and you're like, now how did that article know that I needed that right there? I don't get it. I'm not saying that God did it. Xavier Miller would say there maybe there are no chances right you see God desires for us to own it right become comfortable with our anger that's a whole series in itself beep 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 is there anybody closer than me that please push that button all anger is is letting us know 
that our hearts, our souls, our spirits, that something's not right. And he wants us to hold on to him, own where we're at. Well, I think you're angry. Oh, no, no, I'm, I'm not angry. I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. You see, he wants us to own these things so that he can bring us to experiencing the true hope that is in Christ way before heaven. I believe he could come today, but I also trust that we're going to be waiting. You see, he desires for us to do that, but he also desires for us to press in, press in and be transformed by grace and truth. The psalmist writes, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. One verse, one verse says it all of hope. Search me. Let's be open in our relationship. If there's any offensive way in me, I'll own it. And now I'll press in. Press into the relationship with God. Press into relationships. I know this is going to be awkward, and, but man, I've really screwed up, and I'm really, really sorry. Matter of fact, I'm repentive. And because I'm repentive, this is, these are three things I'm going to prove to you that I'm, I'm really working on this. No, I don't have anything else to say. No, I know I did that in the past. I gave you your resume in front of you. Yeah, I just, you know. It was, it was destructive. All I can bring to you is a truer me. Could you imagine by pressing in to what God desires, that hope in relationships, hopes in broken marriages, hope in, in families, hope, right? We always want it for the ones we love, but they got to take this journey. And so we might even be able to tell them this journey. But right now, we press in. <coughs> As not to be insensitive to anyone that's experiencing, <coughs> experiencing a true trauma. Let me just say, this next slide is not for you. If you're experiencing true trauma that you could not have ever imagined hit you, this next slide is not for you. But for the many of us, it's still very relative. Your greatest test today will be your strength for your kingdom impact tomorrow. Your greatest struggle, your greatest need, God already has it worked out in your future that if you can mature and you can lean into him and you can truly have hope and experience hope, you will truly understand what church is really all about. That the kingdom of God is not just Sunday worship, but it's, it's, it's relationships and it's growing and it's being to one another a family. It's taking our greatest weaknesses that now God has made a strength and then imparting, imparting that to someone that's, that's maybe struggling. That's why we weep. That's why we laugh. That's why we share life with one another. Whatever you have gone through, whatever your marriage has gone through, whatever your families are continuing to go, go through, if it's very, very painful, this is not for you. This is not the time to tell you that all things are going to work to the glory of God, right? It's not the right time, but for many of us, it's the right time to hear that are so stuck or so paralyzed. 
and we're not truly open in experiencing his hope that he desires for us to know that our greatest test or the tests we've gone through, he desires for us to begin to look at it in a kingdom reality, in kingdom relationships. Pressing into the ways of God will make, a dramatic, will make <coughs> dramatic changes in our families. When we press in, it makes life change. That's the hope that I want for us. Because can I be honest, being a, a Christian for a long time, self-confessing, it's hard to press into the things of God. It's absolutely difficult to press into the right things. It's difficult to press into the things that God begs of us to press into in a time of crisis, of turmoil, of conflict. But yet what gives lasting and sustaining hope is that we hold on to him, we own it, and we press into him and press into the things that he desires for us. It's awkward. It still it's, doesn't feel real good, but yet when we press in, it makes life change. And the last thing is expect on. Expect on. Look forward, living in faith. Living by faith matures us. It's not going to be all that perfect. It's not going to be all that practical. But yet at the same time, when we work through it and we press in, then we can expect on. Most times when we have gotten to a place where we've gotten through a particular conflict or trauma, isn't it a strange way of praise? Your shoulders, the weight is off and so forth. It's like you really truly understand and feel and understand that, that, that I mean, have you ever said to yourself, maybe I'm the only one? But God, this stuff works. Waited a little too long. I still maybe discuss that with you, Father, but, but I have a sense of hope and it's stronger than it's ever been before. Thank you, God. Then beep, 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 beep comes, right? Because life continues to move on we've had that knowledge that he has carried us through no matter what warning signs but now we're prepared we expect that there's going to be something happening but we are fit we are spiritually fit we're spiritually ready we have just enough hope to get us well hopefully we have a whole lot more hope within us because we have not just Grasp on the hope and then grasp on the hope and grasp on the hope each and every time there's something. Now there's a sustainability of faith that says, no matter what comes, I expect myself to be mature. And I'm sure that it's going to be something that's deeper of challenge or that's going to need the maturity that I've worked on. I don't look forward to it, but when it comes, Lord, I will be ready. You see, we make decisions and we're emotional. A lot of times our emotions stop us from making the solid decisions we make. And I would suggest to you, as I wrap this up, I want to just give you some powerful understanding that our God feels and has made these decisions. You see, living by faith, relying on the Holy Spirit, being empathic, empathy, it's feel to feel. It's not just sympathy. It's, it's saying, no, I've hurt you, you've hurt me, now what do we do with it? We've owned it, we've pressed in, now let's expect it, right? Saying yes to life. 
See, God has said yes to us. He says this, I am your shield. He says, I am your Lord. I am compassionate. I am your Savior. I am merciful. But see, he also feels. He says this, my heart pounds within me and I cannot be silent. He says, I am tired of relenting. Have you ever been tired of relenting in relationships? So is our Father. He says, I will bless you. You see, it takes an emotional decision to bless someone. And he says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit within you. God desires for us to truly experience hope. Hold on. Own up. Press in. And expect that God is going to continue to mature us and take us through. Because not only did he have a decision, he also emotionally relates with us. May the Holy Spirit have his way with us in our relationships. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises. God, we thank you that we can trust that you are going to mature us. Father, thank you for your word and your way. And we thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray.